Welcome to Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. Show Me the Money is a podcast that is bringing in industry leaders in the commercial real estate sector that are either on the financing side, the development side, the acquisition side, disposition, brokers, investors, bankers, management companies, everyone that's in and out of the the business and all um, facets of the trade so that hopefully you can benefit if you're looking to grow your business, start your business, or maybe transition into something else. On this episode of Show Me the Money by Michael Dirk, we have Mr. Nima Hadian. Nima um, is one of our top brokers with Marcus Millichap up in West LA and Hollywood, and his resume precedes him, so there's not much more to say. You'll, you'll learn a lot from one of the top veterans in our company work in the LA market right now in the multifamily industry. So please stay tuned, and I think you'll like what you have to see here. This episode was sponsored by Pan American Property Management. It's a great company, management company based right here in California with over 40 years of experience in property management, operated and owned by Rick Hegler and his family, has been in the business and really execute at a very high level. They have significant construction background, repositioning properties from top to bottom, from small rehab to mid to a very, very heavy deep gut. I've seen them take properties down to the studs before. I definitely think that they would be a great asset for you and your property. If you are looking for a new management team, Rick and his team at Pan American have been excellent for our clients over the years and definitely strongly recommend giving them a chance to earn your business. Please check the show notes for more and give Pan American a shot. The show is also sponsored by Nima Hadian. Nima is president and CEO of the Nima Group a very powerful group at Marcus and Millichap. They are investment brokers and have a full team up in our Century City office. And Nima has been one of our top performers across the country for many, many years. I definitely recommend if you're looking for a BOV or just a consultant or looking to potentially buy properties, expand your portfolio, or looking to trade out of assets and talk about the different moratoriums or things happening in LA County, no one would be better to talk to than Neiman and his team. Uh, again, very extensive background, very polished, experienced, and they will get right down to the point. He's looking at a long-term relationship rather than just a transaction. Again, give Nima Hadian and his team at the Nima Group an opportunity, and I don't think you'll be let down. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Nima Hadian. Nima. Thank yes. you for joining us today. Thank Pleasure. you for being on the show and taking the time. Nima is a Senior Managing Director of Investments at Marcus Millichap. He has been at Marcus Millichap for 23 years and is also the director of the Nima Group. He is recognized for his real estate experience with a specialization in multifamily investments in the Los Angeles area. In addition to being an essential resource to multifamily owners throughout Los Angeles and successfully representing both sellers and buyers, Nima has excelled in leading his clients through exchanges into different product types, including local and out-of-state offices, multifamily properties, retail and shopping centers, and single-tenant triple-net properties. Nima's previous apartment management experience, along with facilitating many successful multifamily investment challenges as investor faces. With his awareness and mindset, Nima is even better capable of finding opportunities and adding value for his clients. Nima also understands the importance of building long-term relationships with his clients, which is fundamental to his business and success. In order to best benefit his clients, Nima is not a transactional broker, as is apparent by the relationships he has cultivated over the years. 
Neiman received his BA from Marshall School of Business at University of Southern California, go Trojans. Yep. With an emphasis in international business from the Copenhagen Business School. He is a member of the National Multi Housing Group and is an active in promoting landlord rights. Nima, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And a little bit for the viewers out there, Nima and I started the company about the same time, about 20, 21 years ago. Yeah. So we've been in the trenches and, and through a lot of uh, bumps and bruises, especially in the, the current market we're in right today. So, you know, jumping right into it, Nima. Sure. Um, what does the last year look like you and for, for you and the team out there? What, you know, what is transpiring out there and, and, and what have you seen? So we're going through a couple of micro challenges that are unique to Los Angeles because we have a lot of anti-landlord legislation and sentiment, which is one of the challenges, including um, we still have, unfortunately, some COVID collections we're dealing with where tenants have taken advantage of the system and found ways to prolong payments that have that have hurted getting financing for transactions. Yeah. So you combine that with the rising interest rates, the overall feel of where's the market. And the challenges that we're dealing with are we're, we're still active and our velocity is down maybe, you know, less than half of what we were last year, but we're doing much more work. There's a lot more involvement on our side to be involved in almost daily communication, not only with escrow officers, but our clients, the lenders, the loan brokers, because there's so many more objections in front of us today, we're, we're really trying to understand what could come down the road and how do we overcome it in advance? Because the, um, the number of challenges that we're having are, are more than usual. Mm-hmm. And, and a part of that is obviously the cost of capital. Yes. Which is a moving target. Right. But one or thing- the lack I'm, of capital too, I guess, in that instance too. I mean- I'd say 75, 80% of our lenders from this time last year are effectively on the sidelines or out of the market. So, yeah. you know, and like you were talking about with the moratoriums and tenants not paying rent, you know, some lenders just look at it as a vacant unit and that really hurts, you know, underwriting. We had a, uh, a 39 unit apartment building in Los Feliz that came on the market. And um, one of the interested parties that would have been a perfect buyer for the asset couldn't get financing. And he said, look, not only am I having a hard time on the debt side, I can't even get my investors to come in on a transaction today, given the environment. So that's one of the challenges where the asset and the pricing would have worked for this buyer any other day. Right. But today, given, given the, the challenges and also the, the, the fear of knowing of, of, is this the right value? Is it going to be lower in six months? Should I just wait it out and see what happens? And that unknown, people are just like, yeah, we'll there's wait. A, there's a lot of unknowns, and other guests on the show have talked about, you know, the unknowns in the market right now, the uncertainty, and some of our largest clients that we've worked with over the years, though, um, have run in when everyone's running out. And like back in, you know, say the subprime when everything happened back in 2008, nine, and ten, some of our wealthiest clients went in in 2009 and ten. And and bought things and just took rates. Okay, you'll give me a loan. Okay, great. Sure. And they they look like heroes today. Yeah. So in the face of adversity and animosity that's going on in the market right now, it's it's very challenging. But 
I still think that, I mean, I'm a believer long-term as an investor in real estate and myself, you know, buying for the long run and creating wealth and looking at, you know, the long-term hold versus a short-term look, sure. you know, working things out, maybe taking that bridge loan, maybe, maybe taking that higher rate of one or 2%. I know it's expensive in the short run, but in the long run, when you do have a motivated seller that's going to meet the market, I think the buyers who are in the market here over the next 12, 24 months are going to yeah. really persevere and do well. I don't know if you agree with that. I agree with you very much so. And even there is that negative sentiment in Los Angeles, I see it as one of the best opportunities because Los Angeles is a metropolitan city that won't change. Um, we have employment. We have population. We yes. have nightlife. Um, diverse employment, too. Yes. I mean, L.A. is probably the most diverse economic base probably in – the country or the world? I mean, it's it's about as diverse as it gets as far as economics go, which is great. So it's not like just one industry. Okay, Hollywood goes down, sure. oh, the whole city goes down, or you know, aerospace goes down. You know, it's like it's so diverse yeah. now with that from people all over the world. That's what's so great about about the city. And we are seeing a lot of people starting to move back into Los Angeles. So the 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 nightlife, the city life of wanting to be in a Yes. Uh, engage environment is we're, we're starting to see that again. Sure. And the rents will follow that. Right. So I am a big believer in buying in a market that you know will be around. And again, yep. if you buy the right fundamentals and you look for strong locations with properties that can uh, grow in terms of NOI throughout the years. It's, right. It's a great time to be a buyer. Yeah. And the weather, the climate, right? If people are more people are working from home and want a great place to live and want a great climate and something to do, you know, and not going to the office every day. And Southern California is pretty tough to beat on yeah. that basis. So, you know, but so other people too, the other, the, a lot of our investors too have really built their careers on, on equity appreciation. And yes. now we're not getting that get rich quick overnight because interest rates are not crashing. Interest rates are going the other way. So now it's going to come down to separating the professionals from the amateurs Sure, is really what it is. And it's about managing through this cycle, not about equity plays. So that's a wholly different animal. And yeah. that's where the real operators are going to rise to the top. And the other people who were just playing the equity game are going to be that is dead hit. accurate. Yeah, so that's that's something that I think we're we're really going to see here in the next 12 to 24 months. Just to comment on that, that's dead accurate. The guys that are the most active today in our marketplace are the operators. Because you do have to be frugal and you do have to understand how to run apartment buildings. At the end of the day, you're you're a landlord. Right. And you're providing housing for somebody. Right. And you have to be able to control your cost if your rates are a little bit yes. higher than you than you're used to. Yes. So, you know, can you buy a building for six and sell it for eight? No. But can you buy a building for six in, in 12 months? Operate it, have a cash flow, figure out how to control your expenses while grow income and yes. really be a hands-on landlord. Right. Those are the guys that are still active and that are able to push properties during a challenging time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of investors today with fixed rates going to be rolling to adjustable periods, yep. insurance costs going through the roof, oh, utility costs, Mike. you know, management fees, labor costs. I mean, all these below the income line are increasing at such an exponential pace. And then having rent control, you mm -hmm. know, state of California, 5% plus CPI, LA, 3%, Yeah, right? depending on the city in LA, but yes. Yeah. Between and your expenses and are going up maybe. way over 3%. Sure. So you're not creating equity. Your interest rates are going up, your expenses are going up, and your income 
for all intents and purposes, is relatively flat. So there's a lot of headwinds there. Yeah. So a lot of these owners and investors that are in the game, they've been very smart people over the years because they've yes. been riding this wave. What is going to happen in the future? So I guess, you know, maybe getting into that, you know, down the road here, how do you stay informed about market trends and emerging opportunities? How do you, how do you advise clients in this time? You know, I mean, people are looking at you and you've built such a great resume and you've had, you know, so much success in helping your clients transition over the years. You know, what do you, what do you tell them today? I mean, are you telling them to sit tight and hold? Are you telling them that they should sell some certain assets? Are you telling buyers, you know, buy for the long run? What, what is your advice for a client? I know every situation is a little different, but in general, given the moratoriums of rent control and everything and the expenses that we're dealing with here, you know, some people... I mean, my opinion, probably shouldn't be real estate owners. And then other people, you know, are going to be there for the long run. Um, That's a great question. So staying informed, first, on the macro level, I rely a lot on Marcus and Melichap and the information they're they're providing to us and um, having detailed dialogue with, with MMCC and understanding where the debt market is, is really important because that is the macro that you can't change. Mm-hmm. On the micro level, we're, these, these questions and, and thoughts about how to control your expenses, I mean, we're getting down to, we, we just had a property that we were negotiating, trying to get under contract, and I'm trying to get the buyer up on price. And obviously, he's trying to get the best price. Mm-hmm. And, and we're hired by our seller to, to uh, protect his interest. And we have a difference on the NOI. And I said, great, pull up your model. Let's go through it line by line. I haven't done this in years, Mike. Read me your first expense item. Insurance, I'm at 64000 64000 Why are you? And then we'll go through a line by line. Right. Well, utilities, I'm at this. Wait a minute. Why did you budget more than what we're getting? Well, because people are going to stay home more and et cetera. So we're going through some of these line by line and trying to find out really where to push a buyer to. Right. Um, and on, on emerging opportunities and market trends, a part of it is, uh, since I only focus in core LA markets, we see a lot of the transitions in neighborhoods by just doing our inspections and mm-hmm. our valuations and going to the buildings and sure. you know seeing what coffee shop popped up and are they charging two bucks for a coffee or is it a $6 latte? Right. And you start seeing some of these places change neighborhoods. Like, for instance, maybe give us some examples, maybe like in L.A. County, what just maybe two hot neighborhoods and two neighborhoods maybe to shy away from, maybe if you wanted to touch on those. Um, well, Harvard Heights is a neighborhood that we sold a portfolio for of about seven buildings. And uh, we looked at it and while we were doing our tours and inspections and all that, we noticed a few restaurants opening up that were the spillover from West Adams, which has really boomed. Yes. And it's between Koreatown, Hollywood, West Adams, and downtown. And then you started seeing some of these places open, and the rent slowly started to follow as renters didn't want to pay some of those big premiums they were in these areas that have already gentrified. Sure. And Santa Monica, ironically, it's best real estate that most can hope for, but they had a real slump in rents for a while. And we're starting to see a lot of investors go back into that market because okay. they feel like the back rent into Santa Monica, back into Santa Monica okay. because the cap rates have gone up. Right. And 
I mean, I don't know how people manage that. They still have the vacancy control there, right? So if someone leaves, you can only raise rents by what they were previously paying. You no, know, in, in Santa Monica, it's not decontrolled. They so, don't. Okay, got so, it. So you, okay. so you can go to to any market rent. Okay, good. Um, so being able to really drive the streets and looking at these properties and locations is is one way that we learn, and of course, talking to clients, being being connected with with the buyers and understanding. I mean, we always ask, why are you buying this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's a tough question to ask, but what, what, what's your game plan here? Sure. Why are you doing this? And that's when you start to hear about really some of their motivations and a lot of the developments that are happening in certain neighborhoods. Sure. And buying up the long run, too. And you, know, you look at like SoFi Stadium, you look at that area 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And that was a pretty blighted area. And all sure. of a sudden, it's like, whoa, it just... That whole area, you know, blows up and changes overnight. Yeah. You know, there's there's all these things and, and huge companies and corporations that can come in, whether it's city, government, or private corporations that come in and change an area, and then you bring in all the jobs and everything too. You know, there's just there's all different things there. Um, what areas would you maybe shy away from right now? Maybe just at least one area. Uh, where would we shy away from? Downtown LA is really challenging. Right now, it's challenging. Okay, you know, there there's a lot of new product on the market. Their vacancy is high. They're giving concessions up to two months. I've seen a few properties. Right. They're giving. Yeah, I've rent. heard in certain cities, like you know, Class A product up to three months of free rent in these Class A. You know, even downtown Nashville. You know, where I'm primarily at most of the time, mm-hmm. it um, you know up to three months in some of these buildings. You know, I think this kind of short term attrition. A lot comes out of the product or out of the market at once. A lot of supply comes on market, but you know who knows. I mean, are people going to go back to work in downtown LA again? Is the question, and will people need to work close by, or are they going to work a little bit further out and yeah. get a better maybe quality of life, a little larger place to live in, where they don't need to be by a major hub to alleviate some of that commute? I guess that's the question we need to ask. And one thing about downtown is that there is a really good amount of nightlife, restaurants, museums that attract people. But around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, it becomes a little bit of a different city downtown. Right. And the safety is what concerns a lot of people. So if you're younger... Yeah. No, it's... it's yeah. You know, do you want to come down and, and see what, what, unfortunately, Los Angeles is going through? Right. Families or single people, you know, if you're not in crowds or, or whatnot or equipped to deal with that kind of crime, Yeah. you know, it's, it's an issue. Is that something you want to deal with and face? You know, and so, again, it'll be creating opportunities for other people to come in and buy on these for the long run who yes. can manage through it. Again, getting down to management or or not, I guess, is and really especially what. on some of the bigger assets as companies decide to leave an, a, a building or a market. We have a client that decided to exit Los Angeles just as a market as a whole. Okay. And the buyer is an operator that owns three buildings within a quarter mile and he'll if if there is a correction period he can withstand it yes but if you're operating from you know 1800 miles east of the building it's right. a little bit hard to 
Oh, yeah. I'll see you there at 11 a.m. We'll figure it out together. You just can't do that. Yeah. And managing properties, being boots on the ground, it's not something you do on Zoom. And, you know, you need to know what's going on. You need to see what's going on with the police. You need to see what's going on with schools. You need to see what's going on with the homelessness and yeah. crime. You need to have your boots on the ground there. That's imperative. And, you know, Fannie Mae back in, you know, the, the crash back in, uh, you know, 9 and 10, most of the buildings they had problems with were investors who were more than 100 miles away. Really? A lot of the properties. So hmm. the first thing that Fannie and Freddie and the agencies ask, how far is the operator away from the asset? So they want people, you know, if it's a management intensive asset versus buying, say, a CBS or Walgreens or a sure. Dollar General, where it's sure. a you know non-management intensive asset, it's a checkbook club where you go to your mailbox where you're not actually, you know, managing it day sure. by day. But on an apartment building, managing people, you know, all the expenses and all the yeah. isms that go on around the building, <laughs> you need to be close by. So And you know these vendors, unfortunately, they'll they'll figure out that you're far from the asset, the yes. pricing changes. Right. You yeah. know, it's the like five hundred dollar oh, unclogged toilet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's an X. Right. Versus someone can do it for X minus thirty five percent. Yes. Yes, it's amazing. And Economies of Scale, we've had a lot of other guests on the show who have been, you know, very large in um, the economies of scale that they, when they look to do that, and it sounds like the investor that you were just talking about to come in and yeah. buy in that neighborhood, you know, when they're redoing and rehabbing a unit, it's 15000 and they sure. do a great job versus me who doesn't own in that property or that area or whatnot, and all of a sudden it's 30000 Sure. So the economies of scale, managing people and labor, the three buildings next door are 20 unit buildings. Yeah. That person's managing 60. Well, you know what? Here's another 20 unit building. Oh, now you're going to manage 80 units with the same person. You don't increase that pay versus me just buying that, getting that one person. So again, the economies of scale are very, very you know important and for someone. And the migration of tenants. Sometimes yes. they'll say, you know what? I have a one bedroom over here. Yes. That'll work for you. Or you want to upgrade to a two or downgrade to a single. Right. It Smart. happens a lot. Exactly. Can you walk me through a deal uh, you recently closed? Um, you know, what were the, the challenges you encountered? How did you overcome them? Sure. Maybe if you can touch on a, I know you chat about one deal before, but if you could kind of chat about something right now that would kind of yeah. be. We have, let me think. There, There's one that's actually, we, we hit a lot of hurdles. Um, it's a 79 unit building, 2016 construction and Prime Hollywood, East Hollywood, okay. right across Netflix. Nice. And the ownership is based in Texas. They bought it from the developer uh, right before COVID. Unfortunately, when COVID hit, a tremendous amount of, of the income went away due to um, just tenants not paying and, and loss of employment and, and the okay. challenges with, with COVID. And not and able to evict them. What's that? They in the and the oh and the, the tenant, couldn't, yeah couldn't evict I mean, them. We were they were pending those challenges for over two years. Wow. So this is a class A building with three stories of subterranean parking, four stories on top, beautiful rooftop, amenities throughout, internet cafe rooms and gym and pools and saunas. I mean the whole thing, but. Once the ownership reached out to us and said, hey, we're, this is a challenge asset for us, let's look at it together, we, we did our BOV. Our, our first goal was for him to take the BOV to his lender okay. 
and see if the lender would allow some kind of a forgiveness or cooperate with them. And the lender said, thank you, but no thank you. Um, you know, we're, our, our debt is on the building and we'd like to be paid off and we're not going to extend it and we're not going to forgive. Was the property worth more than the debt? So they purchased it for $37.8 million. Our valuation was in the low 30s. Okay. Um, we decided to come what, to market. what was the debt on it? The debt was Roughly. around $26 million. Oh, so there was equity <clears> in the deal. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we came to market unpriced. And I'll show you that the market's still vibrant. We had 15 tours, probably half a dozen offers. Wow. But then once you start filtering through the offers, and then once you start sharing the P&Ls, which were all over the place, Mike, this gentleman, because he's an out-of-state owner, sure, 24-hour security at the building because of the homeless encampments that were on Sunset Boulevard Oof. that were starting to break in the building. Wow. So now a regular building that I wouldn't have an expense item for $80,000 a year. Right. I got it included in there. And then explain to the borrower and the buyer, well, you know. You don't need security. Just the seller needed it, right? Yeah, the seller That's needed it. it because he's from out <laughs> of But you won't need it. It'll be fine. will be fine. Yeah, will be no crime. These guys are move in two days. Right. But it's a real, I mean, it was a real challenge. I bet. And um, the market spoke with, with the offers coming in around the $30 million range. The best debt we can get was 11 to 13 million. Mm. So now, from all different kind of buyers and borrowers, looking at an awesome building at a yield that our cap rate was probably in the low fives. Uh, but you know, you're putting 70% down, 65% down. Right. You're not leveraging in, and your cap rate was lower than your interest rate, right? So. So we had a lot, I mean, people were, were excited for the real estate, but once you start getting into it and understanding how to actually purchase it and then how to deal with it, and then you have probably 14 tenants that weren't paying still, or they were on the tail end of their of their program. Right. Then, you know, you're, you're really buying the building for year three. Sure. Not year one, not year two, but year three. Right. And we unfortunately lost most of the buyers. And we closed with the person under $30 million that could write a check. And there's not that many guys that could write a check for that amount, um, but they wouldn't finance it. The, right. the buyer said, I'll purchase it, but I'm not going to use debt because it's just it, – there's no point. Mm -hmm. I'm negative leverage. I'll take over the building. I'll, I'll get control operations. I'll clean up the NOI. I'll rent vacancies of what I think we'll get. You know, there's ways to improve the income uh, as well as control expenses, and then he'll look in debt. So the buyer pay all cash, or they use a bridge? No, no credit. Okay, all cash. All he cash. used a credit line that he had that was, but no, no conventional lender. No, no, okay. no bridge debt, nothing. And that's when when buildings have problems today. You know, it really comes down to cash or you know a bridge opportunity, and that's where a lot of clients right now who are you know, trying to buy properties right now, reposition if there is a value add play on the deals, putting that debt, you know, debt fund or, or a private money bridge, you know, that's going to be imperative today to, to weather that storm into the next, I keep saying 12, 24 months, but I mean, who knows what yeah. that's going to be. But, you know, um, it's priceless. I, I hope the seller realized what you did for her 
for them and how hard it is today and how hard brokers are working. Like you were saying, you're working harder and there's so many brokers, including our team as well. I mean, we're working 10 times as hard for, you know, 50% yeah, of the volume. The yeah, exactly. yeah, less than half. And that's reality of what's actually happening out there. If anyone tells you we're busy and, you know, we have so much going on, sure. it's... We're busy. I, I, but yeah, we don't exactly. Have, yeah, being busy and executing on. and closing deals sure. are, are a lot different. So that's why I just like to be very direct to the point and, you know, lay it out and what's actually happening and transpiring. About the seller, I was going to just mention to you because you, I asked them, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, you're losing a lot of equity. Why would you even transact? Let's take it off the market. Let's regroup, you know, come back in a year when things are better. And it's interesting because they made a decision to exit our market. Okay. They own another building in Portland. They exited Portland. Okay. Everything in Texas is doing groovy. And his motivation was really just to lower the amount of debt that he had on his books okay. so that he can be a better borrower for other assets. Sure. So for some guys, although it might hurt on one side, it's a win globally. Yes. So it, they're not easy conversations. No. You know, we, we talked about this the other day where oh, yeah. a lot of it is, is just talking it through with them and saying, you yeah. know. We talked about, yeah, being a psychologist for clients or a psychiatrist, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's tough right now. And yeah. it's happened so fast and furious, yeah. you know, over the past year, just to be able to talk to someone who's in the market so thick and thin like you are, right, and your team and, and understand and talking to so many principals and brokers and lenders out there to let people know that you're not alone in this, right? Yeah. This, is, this is a macro, this is a macro climate. This isn't yes. like, oh, just you that, just that building in Hollywood, you're the only person not making money in real estate today. Exactly. You know, it's, that's not the case, yeah. right? So that's, that's a good point. People are feeling it. People are, some people just have their head in the sand. Some people are kicking the can down the road. Other people are waiting to pounce. Other people are making moves right now. People are selling, buying, you know, still refinancing, sure. albeit not to that level like we talked about. The, sure. the volume is not there, but it still is happening and deals will, you know, the unfortunate thing I see some people, they're going to be in a position where decisions will be made for them. They won't make a decision, yeah. which I'm very concerned about a lot of clients we speak to and primarily we always watching maturities when debt is coming due or it's rolling off a fixed period into an adjustable rate period, you know, if they continue not to do things, they will be given their decision. And so yeah. that's why I always ask, and I'm sure you see it in, in, in you, with your client base too, are people being proactive or are you just going to react? And God forbid, if we see a big, huge amount of supply come to the market in the next 12, 24 months too, that's the other thing too, is managing that. And so increased supply is obviously going to compress values yeah. if interest rates, you know, stay the same. If interest rates take a big dip, which some people feel that is the case, who knows? Yeah. I mean, people ask us every day what's going on with interest rates. I wish I, mean, I knew. I mean, yeah, I wish, wish we all knew. Yeah. But, you know, it's all we have is the information that's happened and the information we have today. Yeah. But with, with all being said, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the rates we had. I don't think we're going to have $5 trillion thrown in the market overnight sure. for everyone to use and whatnot. So I think... People have to become more in tune with the norm that here is the cost of a more normalized cost of money. Yes. The increased funds that were thrown in the market overnight caused somewhat of an asset bubble, and we need to manage around that. Yes. And so that's good to get your clients out on that basis and see, you know, what, you know, what do you want to do, 
it's nice to give them options today versus telling them the decision, you know, in a couple of years to come, maybe. And the ostrich approach is the worst approach. Putting your head in the sand. You know, some of the smartest guys I've seen just prepared for it. And, right. And they'll take the blow. Right. And then they'll regroup and move on. Right. And but, it's amazing. Some of them don't even, you know, we ask questions. You know, when is your debt rolling on that 50-unit building in, in Hollywood? I don't know. Let me take a look at that. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's 2024, not 25. Maybe we should take a look at it. Or what, when it rolls to an adjustable rate loan, what is your index and margin? Well, I think it's SOFR. I think it's Treasury or sure. CMT. I, that's just something right now that – and we say, well, no, it's based on SOFR. And SOFR today is in the mid-fives plus your margin. You know, your rate you're going to roll to will be 8% today. Is Are you aware? Oh, you know, and it's just – I think people are in stun mode right now. Yeah. So how does your property cash flow at 8%? <laughs> and then interest only. If interest only goes away, the difference – even if the rate doesn't move, your payment changes by 40% approximately. So we put together a little Excel, um, and I'm happy to share it with you and anyone out there. Oh. Just send me an email. Great. And we – for, for the, the clients that we work closely with, we, we put together – an Excel of all those items that we need to know today. Right. When does your debt roll over? To what rate? How does it increase? What is it? What index are you using? When does the I/O period go away? When does it do? Like all these things that you got to figure out. Right. Put on an Excel. We put all their properties in there. We don't. I mean, if, if we have their debt, then we'll do it for them. Yes. And you don't have to decide tonight, but you got to look at it. Right. You just can't put your head in the sand. Right. And then some of those things pop out and you're like, well, let's deal with this one today. Yes. And, and I know I, and I know you do a great job with your clients being a very senior broker in the firm, making sure it's good to point out all the variables and so that they understand what their options are. Again, it's the worst thing in the world to say, okay, well, Mr. or Mrs. Client, this is your only option. And that's the last thing we ever so, want to yeah. do. You know, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, one other quick point. Sure. Give me your high and give me your low in your career, if you can kind of touch on those two things. And on the low point, how did you, how did you bounce back from that? Mm. On the low, I mean, we had so many lows. <laughs> Which one do you want me to start with? Start with one that really, you know. You know, I have a recent one that's so small, but it's it's so frustrating because it still hurts, like the first time. And even though you know, experience or whatnot and how many escrows we've closed, we still goof. Yes. And we had a client approach us on a on a 40-unit apartment building that he owned, and he owned the parcel next door that was a parking lot. And he recently bought it at a premium. Obviously, rates started changing, and he said, I, I have to get out. What's the best way to exit for the most amount of money? So we recommended to split the parcels, mm -hmm. sell the building to, to an affordable housing operator and the lot to somebody else. Great. Took it to market, two separate buyers. We're moving quickly. Our escrow company sends the NHD report mm -hmm. to the principal, but only the signature page. Doesn't include the report. And I goofed. I overlooked it. Okay. Didn't think it was a big deal. Right. Three days before the close. And and I I blame me because you know, we should have noticed that the NHC didn't go out. But um, three days before the close, the borrower says, you know, I, I never got the report. Can you send it to me? I just signed off on it. We never got it. Sure. 
here it is. It's in a methane zone. Oh. So now on a site that he was planning on building, it changes. Right. You got to do methane testing. You got to right. figure out what level of barriers do you have. Sure. So it was a low because, you know, something so small becomes a big deal. An NHD report, it, it's like it's like the basics of, you know, opening an escrow. Yes. And that's an excellent point. In this market right now, people in the business, especially brokers, any mistake will be magnified a thousand percent versus two, three years ago. It's like, oh, under the rug, whatever. But from a lender standpoint, when we're working on stuff and when you're working with principals, any little oversight becomes an absolute mountain. And and to your point, Mike, the, the challenge was I couldn't play the card of well, take it or leave it. We'll go to buyer number two. Right. I didn't have a buyer number two. Right. We had one buyer on the table. Yes. And we had to service him to the finish line. And our seller and I were on the same page. And we said, we got to figure this out. It's my mistake. I'll, I'll correct it. But I, I couldn't play the hard card of, well, you know, just move on. Because we didn't have an option B. Right. So that was a small but painful reminder of how diligent you have to be, especially in times that are more challenging. Yes, details are the devil's in the details, right? That's what oh, you, yes. you hear. And then, how did you bounce back from that? How did you? What? Um, so you know. we we got the methane report. the The borrower um, who was getting debt also because he was going to get a construction loan to build said, "I have to get a methane test." He got a methane test, and it came back as level three, which is expensive to incorporate into new development. And we did some homework, we reached out to a few other developers and we discovered that it's, it's shocking. The level of methane can change depending on the company you hire and how they test. Right. So we went back to the seller and said, we, we advise you to give the buyer 30 more days and let him find other companies to do the testing. Sure. He, they came back, they discovered the first test was done incorrectly came back at a lower methane level, which adjusted for a super tiny credit. We're talking under 75000 And we came to an agreement that made everyone happy, and we closed on it. Great. It's, you made an excellent point. You go to one company for, say, methane testing. You go to an environmental company. You go to a property condition assessment. You go to an appraiser. And we deal with them all the time. And you people just think, oh, well, that's what they said. That's sure. what it is. And it's not. Please get second, third opinions if something sounds off. We've learned so much over the yes. years where you have to question, second yes. guess. These people are human. And sometimes they're not even working in the best ethics of business. Sometimes environmental companies right now, well, business is a little slow right yeah, now. Yeah, so, push. Oh, a little slow right now. Let's recommend a phase two. Oh, okay. We'll start digging under the yeah. property. And like, oh, phase, I mean, it could just be a bag, you know, can of worms that unravels. And you got to really dig yes. down and look at everything for what it is on the surface and make sure that, um, again, you're giving options and allowing everyone to make a good informed decision based on the variables. So great, great, great call on that. That's what happened. The borrower said, how come all of your methane tests are coming high? Hmm. Right. It's a little bit awkward that five different properties across Los Angeles all have the highest level of methane. Right. I'm going to do some more research. And then he went and did it, and that's how he discovered. Smart. That's great. Yeah. Great. Um, You've had a great career. Uh, What does it take to be a top-performing investment professional? If you can tell some of the 
some of the people out there maybe looking to get into brokerage or have been in brokerage. Obviously, you've been you know top 30, 40 investment brokers at all of, all Thanks. over the country yeah. at Marcus Millichap. So, you know, hats off to you for that. Thank what you. is it? What does it take to consistently do it day in and day out? You know, I thought about this just to give you a clear, concise answer. Um, I think first and foremost, you always put the client's interest in front, no matter what. You know, you have to think creative. You have to pull your resources. They're hiring you for a reason. We take the word fiduciary very seriously. We, um, we try to find solutions and always put the client's interest first. Two is there's no magic. It's relentless hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, I work a lot. And you work around the clock at times. Right. Yeah, we talk weekends. I mean, you're always, you're on call. It's a career. It's not a job. Exactly. Yeah. But with that, you have to find the magic of taking breaks and doing what charges your battery. Because if you show up empty, you're, you know, you, you're not good for anyone. Right. So as, as relentless and hardworking you have to be, I, I think it's equally as important to find ways to keep your battery as close as possible to 100% or at least in the green somewhere. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and, and just be a, a student. That little methane example right. that just happened, I don't know, a few months ago is a, is a reminder that you're still a student of the trade. 100%. And it's still a student of brokerage and life where, you know. Exactly. I think you need to be open answer. to that, yeah. We got to exactly. figure it out. Right. And that's what I was telling some other guests on the show. I mean, even doing financing for 24 years, I'm learning every day. Yes. Every day I learn. And that's what I love about Me the too. business as well. You in the same boat, right? I mean, it changes. Right. The, the real estate business is so dynamic yeah. and changing, you know, exponentially on a, you know, a consistent weekly, daily, you know, monthly, yearly, whatever it is. Sure. Now it seems like by the minute you know, with, with everything yeah. going on. But um, that's great. And then, um, Last on a you know wrap for everyone, what are you? What's your forecast? So when you talk to the NEMA group and you do your pipeline meetings in the conference room, the next you know six to twelve months, what, what are you what are you telling clients? We in the last six and twelve months, which is going to be similar to moving forward, is really keep focusing on operations and think on a on a global level what your goals are. I find myself. I can't even tell you how many times a week we're we're in the middle of a transaction and the question comes, what are you trying to achieve? What's your goal? Well, what do you mean? You know, we're talking about this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Forget this little thing we're talking about. What's your big picture? Are you trying to increase cash flow? Are you trying to make life easier? Do you want to move into assets that might not fluctuate as much as markets? What's our big picture here? Mm-hmm. Are we on page on the same page for your macro goal? And then if we are, let's focus on how to get you there. Yes. Because the, the speed bump is a speed bump. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at times you'll, I mean, that's why you're so successful at what you are is you navigate through markets and speed bumps. And But as long as you keep the goal in mind and keep the client's interest in mind, right. they're, what they're trying to achieve. Yes. It's... Are you losing on this one asset in Los Angeles, which is not a good feeling? No. You're losing all your equity on a property. We're talking multiple millions of dollars. But it helps you lower your total debt balance that you have on your books, and you're you're more financeable 
when you right. find opportunities in the market. Yeah, short-term pain for the long-term gain. I mean, that's really, I guess that's essentially what you're saying. I totally agree. So we're just trying to focus, help them focus on operations and their macro goal and, and what kind of a market we're headed into. Got it. And I think my hat's off to you as well when you don't just work on a transaction, you look at the relationship and tell yeah. that client, you know, a lot of brokers are like, well, we got to sell it now, get my paycheck and no. everything like that. You're like, <laughs> you know what? Hey, for you to say, you know, a thirty-five, forty million dollar asset, you know, maybe we just pause for a second. Sure. Let's look so, at it yeah. next year. You know, that's someone who, again, the fiduciary responsibility, like you said, that's excellent. And that's what um, you know, some brokers do very well in the business, some don't. So uh, I'm glad that obviously you have taken that stance Thank and you. a big reason why you've been so successful in the business. Well, um, that's a wrap for another show. And Nima, I cannot thank you enough for coming down. Really appreciate it. My thank pleasure. you for thank you for coming. Of course. I hope everyone enjoyed some uh, you know words of wisdom here from one of the best brokers in the business and one of the best here at Marcus Melchap. So I just want to say thank you to everyone. Nima, thank you so much. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks Have for having me day. on. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Take care.